you brought a Bible, please open it to the book of Job. We are in Job chapter 38 this evening. That's where we're going to start. Job 38. If you didn't bring a Bible, hey, no, that's cool. Grab one from under a seat close by in front of you there. Job 38. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you after the service. Job 38. Again, we've been studying through the book of Job for, for several weeks now, and uh, what an amazing, amazing book this is. I mean, it, I don't know about you, but 37 chapters we've gone through already, and we've seen this man, this godly man, outlined for us at the beginning. Everything that Job goes through, as we've seen, is not as a result of, of sin in his life, God punishing him. As a matter of fact, God was bragging on Job in chapter one, and we see that the Lord has allowed these things into his life, and Job throughout, we've seen, stays a man of God, loves God, desires, desires to please God, but he's asking the question, and he's asked it several times why, and we've talked about the fact that though Job was not in this condition because of sin, we do believe he crossed the line several times in the condition, and, and he's even come to the point of several times even questioning God's righteousness or justice in dealing with him. And he's asked several times and almost demanded an audience with God. Well, guess what? He gets what he's asked for in chapter 38. And we're going to see as we move through this, Lord willing, as we complete the book of Job, we're going to see that, again, these three friends that came to minister to him did anything but that. As a matter of fact, they caused even greater pain for him. And we'll see as we complete how the Lord deals with them as well. But let's, let's begin. Chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. This is that storm that, that we believe even was the physical storm that Elihu perhaps saw coming as he was describing in the previous chapters. The Lord speaks out of this storm and says, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Notice, I think it's important, first of all, in, ver in verse 1 there, it says, the Lord answered Job. God was listening. The entire time, God was watching. The entire time, God was aware of everything that was going on. Though Job didn't realize it, though Job felt that he was abandoned by God, though Job was crying out, even, even saying, where is my defense? Where is somebody that will be my mediator? Thinking that God has completely abandoned him. Not one time did God take his eyes off of Job. And if you're here tonight and you are in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a storm, and you feel like God has abandoned you, that God perhaps doesn't know what is going on, please know, as a child of God, he never takes his eyes off of you. He knows everything that you're going through. He is always seeing. He is always listening. The question comes, who is this that darkens counsel by words, note, without knowledge? Guys, God is all-knowing. He knows everything that is going on, and his response comes because as Job, and we've, we, we said, we got to cut Job a break. Some of the things that he said as we were going through this were like, yeah, yeah, but understand where Job is, and when we put ourselves in his sandals, in his position, we can understand that, but understand as God responds now, God is the one with all of the knowledge, 
He knows yesterday, today, and forever. He knows the past, the present, and the future. Guess what? He knows what happens outside of that. God isn't bound by time. God isn't bound by the things that we are. God isn't bound by the limitations that we are. He knows everything. He is eternal. And so the question comes to him, and (laughs) it steps up here, and God is going to go through this, and we're going to see there are numerous questions that God asks Job to kind of put, to set everything up for where we finish. He says, now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask, and you instruct me. Now, I don't know about you, but right now, right now, I'm like, okay, hang on, time out, time out. (laughs) But God is saying, Job, you want want this? Here we go. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions, and now you tell me. You instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. When it all started, Job, where were you? When when I spoke it all into existence, when I set the, the earth perfectly, I, I don't know if you were here this weekend, if you saw the, the you know, Charlie Campbell's presentation. Amazing, amazing. I could watch that. I watched it three times this weekend. I could watch it again right now. Just the things that he brought. But one of the points that he made, if, if you'll remember, that there are at least 40 different things that if they were off by one millionth and some one millionth of a millionth of, of a, a part, just, just one little difference, life on this planet could not exist. And God is saying right here, I set it all up that way from the beginning. Where were you, Job? I would encourage you, if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you really like that, if you enjoyed this weekend or if you weren't here, Google The Privileged Planet and watch it. It's about an hour and a half long. It's a documentary. It is, it's amazing. And it brings up even more stuff like that that talks about it. But one of the cool things that I was talking with Jordan out in the, in the uh, lobby beforehand, the cool things in there, it's the most perfect place for you to observe the universe that we are in is planet Earth. In all of the solar system, the most perfect place to observe it all is planet Earth. And the coolest part about that is that's the only place that has people that care about observing the rest of the universe. (laughs) Think about that for a second. How amazing is that? Just those types of things. And it just continues to go. And God is telling Job, I did all of that. This was all planned. Everything perfectly hanging in, in the balance. He goes, or who enclosed the sea with doors when bursting forth it went out from the womb? When I made a cloud its garment and a thick darkness its swaddling band. And I placed boundaries on it and set bolt and doors. And I said, thus far you shall come, but no farther. And here shall your proud waves stop. Imagine the power. We know the power of water, and we see all of that kind of stuff. I mean, it could carve the Grand Canyon in a matter of hours, not billions of years, hours, as the floodwaters rushed back out afterwards. But the, so the power of water, and God is saying, where were you, Job? 
How, 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 do you, how did you manage that to tell these, these waves to stop here? To, have you ever tried to stand up against a wave as it's coming in? Out, out in the ocean. I mean, I'm not a big water person, but I remember when I was a kid and all that, or body surfing or doing that kind of stuff when I was younger. How much power do you have over a wave? It's coming in, big wave. Any of you surfers like, oh my gosh, that's way bigger than I thought. Stop. How'd that work for you? <laughs> Yet, when the Lord says, thus far and no farther, the oceans say, yes, sir. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning? Oh, don't we wish we could do that? <laughs> the ultimate snooze alarm, right? <laughs> when I wake up and I decide it's time to the sun to rise, okay, we'll do it that way. How many of you can do that and cause the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and they stand forth like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld and the uplifted arm is broken. Again, what power do you have if you ever in your life one time commanded the morning to come when it came or to stop? Have you ever entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? All of the things that we still are discovering about light. And darkness, where is its place? That you may take, take it to its territory, that you may know and discern the paths to its home. You know, for, for you were born then, and the number of, the day, and the number of your days is great. I'm sure, Job, you, you have all of this information. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or have you seen the storehouses of the, of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of distress, for the day of war and battle? Kind of cool. Remember, as we've talked, Job is, is taking place. He's more than likely earlier than Abraham, certainly long before Moses, who recorded the rest of the books for us. Certainly long before Moses, when he goes before Pharaoh, and one of the plagues is hail that comes out of heaven. <laughs> Joshua 10, I like this. Joshua 10, speaking of the storehouses of hail. Verses 10 and 11, it says, And the Lord confounded them before Israel. These are the enemies of Israel that they were fighting against. And he, God, slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and pursued them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Ezkah and Mechida. As they fled before Israel, while they were in the desert of Beth Haran, the Lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Ezekiah, and they died. And they were more who died from the hailstones than those from the sons of Israel that were killed by the sword. I just, the enemies of Israel running away, and God's got hailstones up in heaven, and it's like just the like dodgeball, just <laughs> wiping out the enemies of Israel. Ezekiel 38, speaking of Gog and Magog, that is yet to still come, speaks of hail, the Lord using hail with that, and again in Revelation during the Great Tribulation. So where, where, have you seen this, Job? You understand how all of this happens? Now, I'm not saying there's silos in heaven with hail in it. That's not, that's, God is saying, do you understand how this works, Job? You understand that I'm in control of all of that? 
Where is the way that the light is divided or east wind scattered on the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the flood or the way of the thunderbolt? How, yeah, do you design that, Job? Do you, 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 you plan out that path for, for the lightning to go? To bring rain on the land without people or on a desert without a man in it. To satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the seeds of grass sprout. I, as I'm thinking through that, again, that whole idea, God takes care of this entire planet, even though the uninhabited places. If, if rain falls in this land without people, does the ground get wet? Just, just kidding. Um, <laughs> on the desert without man in it, he says, I take care of everything, Job. Even where there aren't people, even these deserted places, I'm, I'm providing seed for grasses to sprout in uninhabited places. Things that you, places you don't even know. Is the rain a father or who has begotten the drops of dew? From, those, from whose womb has come the ice and the frost of heaven who has given it birth? Water comes hard, becomes hard like stone and the surface of the deep is imprisoned. How does that all work, Job? Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth a constellation in its season and guide the bear with her satellites? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens or fix their rule over the earth? This morning, one of my favorite this of this time of year. You know, the, the mornings are so nice and cool and crisp and just to get a cup of coffee early in the morning and go out and look up at the stars. And this morning, as I was, as I was out there, I just was thinking about this, this part that we'd become covering here and looking up at the stars and the constellations and, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. And it just struck me, you know, what I'm looking at, Job looked at the same stars. And that star that I'm looking at right now was right there when Job looked at it. Wow. So all of these, and now we understand the galaxies far, more, far better than Job did. All of these, upon end, upon, you know, all of these different, the constellations, all of that, they're the same. They haven't moved. God holds it all together. And I'm sitting here wondering, God, can you hold my life together? Just an amazing God that we have. And that's what, Job, you've been complaining. You've been talking all of these things. Job, do you understand how powerful I am? Do you understand that I hold all of these things together? Could you do that? Can, do you think you could do a better job holding it all together, Job? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of water will cover you? <laughs> Try to dance all you want. Sing all you want. You can't bring forth rain. Can you send forth lightning that they may go and say to you, here we are? <laughs> Can you command the lightning to where they're just saying, here we are. Where do you want us to go? Who has put wisdom in the innermost being? Again, wow, just think of that. In the innermost being, every, every discovery we make, this verse is like more and more, wow. Even... Even, what, 100 years ago as they're reading this verse, they had no idea about DNA. Who put wisdom in the innermost being. The intelligence is, again, this weekend, what a great, great thing pointed out. The intelligence in the single cell. 
Unbelievable. Or give an understanding to the mind, that three-pound hunk of flesh in your, in your cranium. Who can count the clouds by wisdom or tip the water jars of heaven when the dust hardens into a mass and the clods stick together? Can you hunt prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lion when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait for, in their lair? Who prepares for the raven its nourishment with its young cry to God and wander without food? He starts moving into, the, into nature now, talking about different, different animals. How much, of the, how much of this do you understand? And we can look at some of these things and say, okay, yeah, we understand a whole lot more about these things than Job did, yet the still, still the same questions are, yeah, but we have no control over any of that. Do you know the time the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the deer? Can you count the months till they fulfill, or do you know the time they give birth? They kneel down, they bring forth their young, they get rid of their labor pains. We had, this goes back a few years ago, I was, I was hiking up in the mountains with my son and one of his friends, and we witnessed something that very few people get a chance to witness firsthand. You might see it on a nature show somewhere, but we were walking, and within 15, 20 yards of us, all of a sudden, this cow elk stood up. And I was like, okay, you know, and, and we stopped, but she's looking right at us. And so I know she sees us, and we were talking. I mean, we weren't whispering. We were talking as we were walking through the woods, but she didn't run away. And I'm like, that is, that's bizarre. I'm, elk are very skittish. So we just started moving a little bit slowly around her. We didn't go anywhere closer to her. We just walked around, and all of a sudden, a little calf stood up, all wet. I mean, she had just given birth. And this little calf standing up, and I'm like, guys, you have no idea what we are witnessing right now. This is so cool. But we st for like 10 seconds, and I said, we got to get out of here because she's going she's gonna to panic. So we walked directly the other direction. But just... How amazing, I mean, that experience was amazing, but what, what God is saying to Job here is, figure this out, Job. That, that little calf's gonna be running in a matter of hours. And then, look at us. I created it that way, Job. To where the mom gives birth to that little calf and the labor pains are gone. She's immediately mom mode. No epidural, no, no recovery room, no, immediately she's protecting her child because if, if, we, were a, if we were coyotes and within, 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 again, minutes, that calf stood up. Anyway, really cool. Their offspring, here we go, their offspring become strong. They grow up in the open field. They leave and do not return to them. In a short while, they're on their own. Who sent out the wild, who set the wild donkey free? Who loosed the bonds of the swift donkey? To whom I gave the wilderness for a home and the salt land a place a for his dwelling place? He scorns the tumult of the city and the shoutings of the driver he does not hear. This is a wild donkey. This is not one that can be tamed. He explores the mountains for his pasture and he searches after every green thing. Will the wild ox consent to serve you? 
get a water buffalo to plow your field? Will he spend the night at your manger? Can you bind the wild ox in a furrow with ropes? Or will he harrow the valleys after you? Will you trust him because his strength is great and leave your labor to him? I doubt it. Will you have faith in him that he will return your grain and gather it from your threshing floor? The ostrich. Now, he's talking about these majestic animals and these amazingly smart animals that can exist in the wild, need nothing else, you know, and, and everything, you know, just on their, and here he comes to the ostrich. The ostrich wing, flaps its wings joyously with the pinion and plumage of, it says love here, perhaps yours translated stork, and stork is a better translation. The word can be translated love, but the plumage of, of a stork is kind of what it's speaking of, this beautiful um, plumage that it has. For she abandons her eggs to the earth and warms them in the dust, and she forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may trample them. She just lays her eggs right out in the open, and then walks around with her big old clumpy feet. She treats her young cruelly as if they were not hers. Though her labor be in vain, she is unconcerned. Notice verse 17, because God has made her forget wisdom and has not given her a share of understanding. They're not very smart animals. And God is saying, because I made them that way. So how do they survive? Because I made them that way. Because I protect them. Because I keep them going. God's, I, I mean, I just, I love this. He's just like, I made them stupid. Yet they survive because I'm watching out for them. And then, though, when she lifts her head high, she laughs at the horse and her, his rider. They can run like 40 miles an hour. Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like a locust? His majestic snorting is terrible. His paws in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. The quiver rattles against him, the flashing spear and the javelin. With shaking and rage, he races over the ground and he does not stand still at the voice of the trumpet. As often as the trumpet sounds, he says, aha. <laughs> and he scents the battle from afar and the thunder of the captains and the war cry. He's saying again, now he's describing these, these war horses, majestic. How do you describe that? An animal that you can get on and you can go into war and they rush right into war. They don't, they don't see all the carnage. They don't hear all the chaos and all the craziness and say, I'm out of here. They charge right into it. And again, the crazy, as I read through this, the things that just make me laugh, and it's almost like God is putting this all together as he lines this all out in these different things. The world would have us believe that all of this just happened randomly that we all came from the same pond of goo and some of us became like us, others became dumb like ostriches and others became like these mighty war horses and it all just happened like real, I know it's crazy, but wow. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars? stretching its wings towards the south. I mean, the migration, that's another thing that is again, it just, it points, it has to have a designer. 
the migratory patterns, especially of certain birds. I was reading one. I printed off the article. We don't have time to read all the way through it. But there's one bird in particular that they were talking about that that is ha- it's born in Alaska. That's where, that's where the, the eggs are laid and they're born and they're hatched. Right after the, a certain period of time, before those birds can still yet fly, the parents take off to Hawaii. They, they fly from Alaska to Hawaii. The, the birds, yet they, they have to eat just the right amount of, of food to put on the right amount of weight to provide exactly the right amount of fuel to make it to Hawaii. The incredible thing is, and again, all of the science that's done on it is they don't have enough fuel. So they have to catch the right currents and they have to do the right, all of this right stuff. And all the time, because the winds are changing and all this kind of stuff, they have to constantly be making course corrections or they'll miss Hawaii. And there is nothing that they follow while they're flying. It's just open ocean. And they don't ever stop flying, so they fly sometimes at night. And they make it to Hawaii. Crazy chance, right? I mean, wow. Evolution, you know, survival of the fittest. Tell me, Job, did you program that tiny little bird brain to do that? You know what's amazing when you think of stuff like that? Being called a bird brain is not that bad a deal. (laughs) Anyway, is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes its nest on high? And again, to see somewhere eagles make their nests just crazy. Again, way up on the cliffs. On the cliff, he dwells and lodges up on the rocky crag, an inaccessible place. From there, he spies out food. His eyes see from afar. His young ones also suck up blood, and where the slain are, there, he, there is he. Where were you with all of that, Job? You understand all of that? You control all of that? Then the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him, reprove, let him who reproves God answer it. Up to this point, Job has just been, and so... God's going to take a breath and allow him to answer, and here's Job's response. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, and I will not answer, even twice, and I will add nothing more. What, What else could he say? What else, what else can you do? I, you know, I, I find it fascinating how some people in their arrogance say, you know, God, one day when I get it, if there is a God, he's got a lot of explaining to do, you know. And Verse 6, then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, God's not done. Now gird up your loins like a man. I will ask and you instruct me. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? All of these questions, again, this isn't fair, God. This isn't right, God. This isn't, you know, why am I going through this type of thing? And and God is saying to that, are you going to condemn me so that you can be justified in, in in your questioning these things? Or do you have an arm like God that you can thunder with a voice like his? 
Adorn yourself with eminence and dignity and clothe yourself with honor and majesty. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and make him low. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Only God can do that. Tread and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in the dust together. Bind them in the hidden place. Then I will confess you that your own right hand can save you. You do all of that, Job? I'll give you your due. Behold now, and here, beginning in verse 15, and then when we get to chapter 41, he's gonna, he's gonna if you look at verse 15, we see the word behemoth. That's the, the English translation of the Hebrew word there. And there's a lot, uh, and I'll touch on this a little bit as we go through it. There's a lot of discussion around this, and we don't know for sure. But also look at chapter 41, verse 1, Leviathan. That's the, the two that are there. And we're going to see as he describes them, to me it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when we try to say, okay, it must be this animal that we know of today. I don't think either one of these can be described as animals that we would know of today. But the important, important thing as we start, notice is he says, behold now behemoth, which I made as well as you. So we're not talking about mythical creatures. We're talking about created creatures. Same thing we'll see as we continue on with Leviathan. These are not mythical things, although when we read about them, we might say, wow, that sounds like, sounds like, sounds a lot like dinosaurs, This, as we, he eats grass like an ox. Behold now his strength in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. Some believe because of the, the description right here that he's referring to a hippopotamus or an elephant, something along those lines. But I, I don't know how you can keep reading and get that. Verse 17, he bends his tail like a cedar, big, huge tree. Have you seen the tail of a hippo? hardly a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. Verse 19, he is the first or the chief, the words could also like preeminent, the, the, the most majestic perhaps of the ways of God as, you know, in his creation. Let his maker bring near his sword. No one else other than his creator, his maker, can, can slay him. The, you know, again, I, I don't know, but when I'm reading through this, I get this idea of like a brontosaurus type of thing. I mean, the, 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 the dinosaur of that. Don't have a whole lot of time to go into that, but there's plenty of evidence to show that dinosaurs fit with the creation story. We don't, have to, we don't have to apologize for that whatsoever. And I don't have a whole lot of time to go in that. Could they be on the ark? Absolutely. That's one of the things that is such a misnomer about all of that is it doesn't tell us that they brought adult, mature animals onto the ark. Probably makes a whole lot more sense, and God's way smarter than me, to bring baby animals onto the ark. But anyway, that... We'll leave that to one day when we can check out the video up in heaven and see exactly how it went. But plenty, I mean, that's one of the things that when they say, well, why do you explain dinosaurs? Easy, easy. 
and how were they, most of them, possibly, you know, again, the flood, the, the, the fuel in the ground, all of that kind of stuff. There's, there's no reason, and we don't, there's plenty of great information out there. I won't continue to stumble all over myself here, but plenty of information, and this could very well be speaking of a dinosaur along those lines. Surely the mountains bring him food, and all the beasts of the field play there. Under the lotus plants he lies down in the covert of the reeds and the marsh. The lotus plants cover him with shade, and the willows of the brooks surround him. If the rivers rage, he's not alarmed. He's confident, though the river rushes into his mouth, the Jordan River. Can anyone capture him when he is on his watch, when he's paying attention? Are you going to sneak up behind him and catch him? Even if it was a hippopotamus. Again, Job, are you going to sneak up and wrestle a hippo to the ground? With barbs, can anyone pierce his nose? Again, I believe speaking of a much more massive creature. Chapter 41, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? Now, obviously, now we're speaking of a sea creature, the other one on land, or press down his tongue with a cord. Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make any supplications to you or will he speak to you with soft words? Now, some believe this is speaking of a crocodile or an alligator. When we get down a little bit further, I, again, don't see any way how we can draw that conclusion unless we're trying to appease people to say, okay, well, here's an example of today what it could be. But God is saying this. We're going to see. This is, a, this is a, an incredible beast that the Lord is speaking of. And he's going to say, are you going to be able to speak soft words to it? You know, like you do to your dog. Will, you make a, will, will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him for a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? I <laughs> just kind of get this. Are you going to play fetch with him? Are you gonna, will you bind him for your maidens? And again, let's just imagine we're talking about a killer whale here. I mean, just as, as an example, a, a killer whale. God would be saying to us, you're going you gonna to take him for a pet? Do you have that power? Will the traders bargain over him? Will they divide him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle? You will not do it again. If you try that, <laughs> you won't do it twice. Behold, your expectation is false. Will you be laid low even at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he dares to arouse him. Who then is he that can stand before me? God is saying, and again, he's going to continue on with the description, but God is saying, you know better than to mess with this creature, yet somehow you feel you're going to mess with its creator? <laughs> How much sense does that make? Who has given to me that I should repay him? That's a question we always need to remember. Don't ever say, God, you owe me. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine, including us. He's our creator. He's the one who spoke everything into existence. He's the one who holds it all together. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs. That's why some believe it, it must be speaking of an alligator because now we're talking about this, this sea creature that's, that has limbs. But again, 
we're going to keep, as we keep reading, I think it rules out an alligator, or his mighty strength or his ordinary frame. Who can strip off his outer armor? Who can come within his double mail? Who can open the doors of his face around his teeth? There is terror. His strong scales are his pride, shut up within a tight seal. One is so near to the other that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. His sneezes flash, <laughs> flash forth light. His eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning torches. Sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils smoke goes forth from a boiling pot and burning rushes. Now, I've never seen an alligator like that or a crocodile. His breath kindles coals and flame goes forth from his, from his mouth. Again, here, it sure seems like, again, if we're going to talk, it, it's, it's some type of dragon-like creature. Interesting that virtually every ancient civilization has recorded some type of dragon. I mean, this is, and they, when they weren't living anywhere near each other, we see cave paintings of things, we see different stuff like that. All of these ancient civilizations deal with these dragon figures. Now, I'm not saying that's what it is, but I'm not saying you could just say, well, that's, that's just, that's, that's medieval, that's, you know, that's nighttime, you know, or whatever. Um, K-N-I-G-H-T, time, night, nights. I probably didn't need to explain myself there. <laughs> anyway, it, what I, I guess what I'm saying is there's a whole lot of things that we don't know. There's a whole lot of this type of stuff. And so we don't, we don't need to just, whatever this thing is, it's something that you don't want to mess with. I can tell you that. In his neck lodges strength and dismay leaps before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together, firm on him and immovable. His heart is as hard as a stone, even as hard as a lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty fear because of the crashing, they are bewildered. The sword that reaches him cannot avail, nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. Basically saying there's, there's like no way to kill this thing. He regards iron as straw, bronze as rotten wood. Very powerful. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned into stubble for him. Clubs are regarded as stubble. He laughs at the rattling of the javelin. His underparts are like sharp potsherds. He spreads out like the threshing sledge of the mire. He makes the depths boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a jar of ointment. Behind him, he makes a wake to shine. One would think the deep to be gray-haired. Nothing on earth is like him. But notice, one made without fear. Again, created. Not a mythical creature, but a created creature. And there is nothing on earth like him. He who looks on everything that is high, he is king over all the sons of pride. Bottom line, again, what God is laying out here is these creatures that, that you, though you and I don't know them, Job obviously knew them very well knew exactly what God was talking about. And he's saying, you can't control these things. You can't, um, 
harness these things. Yet these are, these are creatures completely under my control, Job. They're my creation. Chapter 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes." There's, there's so much in this that's so, so amazing. But we see, and we talked of this before at the beginning, and we've mentioned it several times through, God never tells Job why he went through everything that he did. It wasn't, it wasn't about gaining an understanding of those things. It was about God revealing himself to Job. And in the end, and we see this in through his response, is like, that's enough. That's enough. Now that I know, I know you more. Now that I know that you're there. It's almost like Job can say, okay, now, now that I, I, I know that you're with me, nothing else matters. I know that you can do all things. That no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Nothing can come against God's plans. Nothing. He is all-powerful. He is the one. And when he is faced with all of these things, he totally gets what God is saying to him. And he's saying, I have declared things, and he, I didn't understand. Things too wonderful for me. Interesting choice of words. Wonderful. The stuff that, that is going on in my life, the things that you've allowed, the things that you, but, but because, God, I understand, you're over it all. And you're all powerful. These things are far too wonderful, far too beyond me. I didn't know what I was talking about. Now, Lord, I'll ask you. And the way that it's written in the Hebrew, it's, there, there is an idea of a, of a, please instruct me. Not a, I'll ask you and you instruct me. No, I think he's learned his lesson. I'll simply ask, and you instruct me. Prior to this, I had heard of you. We, knew, we know Job was a godly man. He knew the Lord, and he served the Lord. He was a godly man. But now, he says, now I see you. And the idea is a continual seeing. Not, not physically. We don't believe that, that he, he appeared in the storm, but the idea, again, now I, now I see. Now, now I, I understand more. And because of that, I retract. I take back everything I said, and I repent in dust and ashes. Humility, that idea in dust and ashes carries with it the idea of absolute and total humility. It came about, verse 7, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, 
that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, this is friend number one, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends. Now, obviously, they've been standing around listening to this whole thing, hearing the same things as Job, and no doubt shaking in their tunics just like him. But now, God turns his attention to them. Kindled against you and your two friends. Because, note, you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. You have not spoken of, of me what is right. That, that word, interesting, you do a word search on that, it's got a lot of different meanings, but it carries with it the idea of something that is established, something that is determined, something that is fixed. You haven't spoken right about me because there's certain things about me that never change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I, I don't waver. God doesn't like being misrepresented. And he comes to them and he says, you have not spoken right of me. These things that you were saying about me, they're not, they're not true. As my servant Job, we're going to see that. He says, my servant, several times here, speaking of Job. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls, seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job will pray for you. For I will accept him. I will lift him up so that I may not do with you according to your folly. <laughs> Get these things for a sacrifice. Take them to Job have him, have him offer up a sacrifice and pray for you so that I don't do with you what I should do with you. I'm, I'm guessing they were moving pretty quickly. Because again, you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, we see, and we've, we've talked about this, that, that Job, in his, in his situation, he did not represent God completely all the time. So what is God saying there? My servant Job has. Overall, again, Job's heart never left the Lord. He was searching. He, was, he said some things that, again, he, he wishes he didn't, no doubt. But to me, what, what blesses me in this, as my servant Job has, what happened to the things that God, that he said that didn't represent God well, didn't represent God right? Go back to verse six. I retract, I repent. The Bible tells us that God removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. When we repent, when we truly come with a heart of repentance, our sin is no more. Jesus took it. As, as born-again believers, he took our sin. That word justified, I, I, I love that. It's one of those that we should always remember. The word, the good way to remember it is, it's just as if I'd never sinned. It doesn't mean that it's just as if the sin never happened, because God can't do that. God is just but it's just as if I'd never sinned. Because 
giving our lives to Jesus, surrendering to him, repenting, which means turning from a life of sin and turning to Jesus, what happens in that moment is it takes the sin off of my record and it puts it onto his. The righteousness that is his comes to my record. Verse nine, so Elevaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord told them. I would guess so. And the Lord accepted Job. Verse 10. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. Notice, and this isn't a small thing, guys. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. Not the Lord restored the fortunes of Job and then he prayed for his friends. No. These same ones that caused him so much pain and anguish. We talked about that as we were going through. He's like, guys, are you serious? Do you not see what I'm doing? And you're making everything worse. As a matter of fact, these ones that he was counting on to bring, bring relief, to come alongside, did anything but. They were stabbing him in the back. They were making, it, making things worse. And God says, you, you, you go to Job and ask him to pray for you. And it tells us that Job was, Job was obedient. Job prayed for these people, the ones that hurt him the most. Now, what this is not saying is pray for your enemies and God's going to make everything right in your life. That's not what this is saying. But what this is saying is that God is pleased when we do that. When, when those who have hurt us, those who have come against us, those who have, we need to realize as Job sees here, again, when we stand before a holy God, you've probably heard it said, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. All of us stand as sinners before a holy and righteous God. All of us. Isaiah First five, first five chapters of the book of Isaiah. Woe is you, 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 woe is you. Isaiah chapter six, he sees the glory of God. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips amongst the people of unclean lips. I'm no different when we stand before a holy God. And Job, after going through all of this in these first six verses, we see that Job completely humbled before the Lord and those who have forgiven much, those who have been extended much grace, need to extend it out. I could almost, again, I don't know, but I could almost see Job saying, oh, I'd be, I'd be happy to pray for you. His fortunes restored when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Then all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before came to him and they ate bread with him in his house and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him or allowed him to come his way. It's almost like, well, where were you when it was at its worst? But again, he embraces his family as they come back to him. Each one gave him a piece of money and each a, a ring of gold. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. 
He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. Again, please do not take away from this that, okay, what we need to do is simply, simply repent of sin of ours and pray for our enemies, and God's going to make us rich. That's not the lesson here. But God did bless Job even more than what he was before. He had seven sons and three daughters. Nothing is told to us about the sons, but we get a little bit more information about the daughters. First, we get their names. Verse 14, he named the first one Jemima. I don't even need to say it, do I? What did all of her nieces and nephews call her? Come on. I thought that was really funny. And the first Aunt Jemima, it wasn't a syrup bottle, it's right here. Okay. And the second, Keziah, and the third, Karen Hapuk. In all the land, no women were found so fair as Job's daughters. And their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his grandsons four generations. Job died an old man and full of days. I guess in just a minute, I, I, I hope that if you're going through a trial, a difficulty, a, a storm right now, or if you're not, know that one, one will come. It's just the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We live in a fallen world until the Lord takes us home. We're going we're gonna to face those things. But the theme throughout everything that, that, jo- that God was saying to Job is, Job, I'm the one who created all of this. I'm the one who holds all of this together. I'm the one who is so attention, t- pays so much attention to detail that I make sure the, the, the places that are totally barren that nobody's going to go to gets rain so that the grass can grow. I'm the one who makes sure that the stars stay right where they are. I'm the one who created the earth and made it in such a way that it can, it can sustain life perfectly. Will you trust me with what you're going through? Will you, will you allow me to, to carry you through it, to hold you together through it? Will you, will you believe that, that I have a purpose in everything? Nothing, nothing happens, not even the ostrich. <laughs> it wasn't an accident. I made it that way. All right, will you trust me? And that's what God just, that's what he calls on us to do, regardless of what it is you're going through. He's just saying, will you trust me? Will you leave it in my hands? The Lord's been ministering to me in the Psalms, which, praise the Lord, guess what? That's next. <laughs> when, I, when I get back in a couple of weeks. So start reading in the Psalms. But just been, the Lord's just been blessing me so much as I've been reading in the Psalms. And the, one that, the verse that just keeps coming back to me is the one that says, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. No doubt during the, the, in times in our trials and the difficulties we're going through, that's one of the hardest things to do. Okay, God, I get it. You're all powerful, but can you speed it up a little bit? And he's like, I, I'm doing something. 
I'm doing something. And if we wait and if we're patient and we trust him, we too, like Job, can look at something even tragic and say at the end of it all, it was too wonderful to, for me. To be, able to, to be able to wrap my mind around it, I'm talking, I have no idea what I'm talking about. God, forgive me. Let's pray. God, you are so, so good. And Lord, we, we covered a lot of ground tonight. As you revealed your majesty and your power and your authority to Job, Lord, I pray that it speaks and resonates in our hearts. You're the same God today. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, my prayer goes out to anyone, for anyone right now, that is going through the middle of a storm, the middle of a trial. And sometimes we can. We can even downplay our own situations, thinking, well, this isn't that big. I, I understand Job's situation, yeah, but mine. No, Lord, you want to be the God of everything, every detail. So, Lord, we trust you. You are almighty, all-powerful God. Have your way. That you would be glorified in our lives as we look to you, and the world around would see and notice. Lord, let us be good, good witnesses for you. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.